Jason here. Just want to say that this was recorded late at night and the podcast does start off a little bit low energy, but it does pick up and there are some really neat conversations here. So I hope you hang with it. So that said, let's return to our recording already in progress. Welcome back, everybody. We're happy to bring you to another wonderful panel discussion. Today on the panel, we have Carl Rodriguez of the Geomologist Presents podcast. B.J. Boyd of the Arcane Alienist, Joe Richter of Hindsightless, previously the GM of Wheel and Woe, the first Pathfinder 2 actual play podcast, and myself, Jason of Nerds RPG Varietycast. How are you guys doing tonight? We're doing great. Yeah, man. Doing it's, good. Uh, it, it's Wheel or Woe. <laughs> oh, okay. There we go. So, so Wheel or Woe. There'll be links in the show notes. Go listen to that. There's a just a few hours that you need to listen to when you go watch the critical role cartoon, then, you know, we'll, then you can go listen to Wheeler Woe to find out how it's supposed to be done. Yeah. And compare and contrast. Exactly. That's, uh, yeah, that's who takes, who took the... from who? Yeah. <laughs> that's who based on the, yeah. Wheeler Woe is based on the augury spell, right? Yes. The name Which of is, it comes from the augury spell. Correct. It's pretty fitting for today's topic. I think yeah. it, it oh, is. Very nice. It is. So, so BJ, why don't you let folks know what we're going to talk about today? So today we're going to talk about gods and pantheons in D&D and, and, and fantasy role playing and some of the uh, just kind of the nature of using them in your campaign, how they fit into might fit into the campaign setting, how uh, players might interact with gods, how players might ascend to godhood or, or to higher level of existence. Um, and God, that's this. I guess that's the general topic here. I don't think I, did I miss anything. No, we're, yeah, we're just going to talk about the, you know, different aspects of it and, and how it's handled in game and maybe some, some good ways we've come across doing it, maybe some advice for folks and, and maybe some bad, bad ways we've seen it handled <laughs> as well. Right. Cool. So, so, so I guess the, the first thing we kind of talked about is how we feel that they're best used in games. So we see some games where they're not really touched and, and pr- primarily we're going to be talking about fantasy games here, your, your D style games. Uh, but so in D and D style games, it's kind of implied you're going to have, you know, some kind of pantheon out there, some kind of guide, some kind of higher power because something's given the clerics the ability to cast divine magic near the healing magic. It depends on the world you're running. If you're running a game without clerics and that may not be the case, but normally there's when your standard high fantasy game that's there. Um, so, but some games w- we'll see that it's kind of hand waved where it's just generic good gods, bad gods, and they're, they're not really defined at all. And, and, and some players like that, but, but that's not very interesting from a world building point of view or from a player's point of view, if that player, and it not just clerics, but other players that follow different deities may want to work that into their character and so they can work into the role playing and work into what their characters are doing both in downtime and even in the speech patterns of the characters or anything else if the player decides to talk first person so i remember if i remember correctly gary gygax originally the clerics just served the gods and you either served you know the gods of law or the gods of chaos and yeah the players were the ones that twisted his arm into giving them specific deities and, and, and that they could choose from. And that's where he came up with St. Cuthbert, the God of common sense, who liked to whack people upside the head with a stick when they did something stupid. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and they moved pretty quickly on to having books. I mean, you know, first edition had deities and demigods, right? Yeah. Where, where they t- tapped into the your real world religions and to the point where your, your Celtic gods, you know, all the priests had to be druids and they had to do human sacrifice, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so... I like, I like having an active pantheon. I like my gods to be present in the world. Uh, they're, 
they're great quest givers, right? Like they're the ultimate quest givers. They could just show up wherever. I had one stab a character through the chest with a big great sword uh, when she wanted to talk to him. That was dope. But yeah, I like to have them pretty active in the world and the people know about them. Um, they're the churches often have are like factions and stuff. So I, I typically in my games have a lot of um, a lot of play between the different um, the different deities and churches and everything. What about you guys? Do you guys have active pantheons or are they like, you know, more mellow? Well, I, for me, I, I think, um, well, I do, I have done, you know, BX type games where, it's sort of chaos versus law and you have just a generic cleric or shaman or whatever. Um, but but I, I think I too, I mean, I like most of my gaming has been done in a world where there is an active pantheon where, you know, the, you know, where maybe it's not directly the God, but servants of the God, uh, those who worship the God are the quest givers become uh, patrons of a particular adventure or adventuring group. You know, the cleric can go to the temple and has relationships there, and then they can you know, get missions from the temple for the rest of the party, yeah. uh, things like that. And then, I mean, so for me, I actually, you know, I, when I was running uh, AD&D first edition and then into second edition, um, uh, I played a lot in the Forgotten Realms. You take it or leave it. It was what was available. It was cool. It was, you know, from the small pantheon that Greyhawk had, you know, that originated from Lyle versus Chaos. It was now this huge pantheon of different gods, right? So so those gods then, in, in the transition from first to second, they actually were walking on the on the planet, right? So you had direct interaction. And I definitely had a series where uh, the patron deity of one of the players, like, met one of the players, you know? Um, so so, you can, so I, th- I like that. I think it's cool. It's really great for, for story building, and it's definitely memorable. I've kind of gone back and forth depending on the campaign. You know, I've been running a lot in Forgotten Realms, but usually in Forgotten Realms, I'm running a pre-made adventure path. And if the path does not call for one of the gods to show up, the god doesn't show up during that campaign, but that doesn't mean they don't in the Forgotten Realms. The, the times I've built homebrew, I've, I've, I've done everything from a kind of a homebrewed pantheon to what I'm doing now where the gods are distant and mysterious and they're kind of because of sort of the past events they're 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 they're, their whole time is spent just making sure the world doesn't descend into chaos but they have these saints and so the clerics actually interact with their patron saints which are sort of somewhere between Mm. between uh you know and so their 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 ethos of a cleric will depend on their patron saint i did that primarily so a cleric could work with me to just make their own patron saint yeah. I was here, so we've got a, a, an expanding list of patron saints, which are going to for stand-ins for gods that have their own directives and ethos and, and things that the cleric of that saint's supposed to do. And you can pick from one of those, either one I made or one another character made, or you can make a new one. And we just say, you know, they're they're unlimited because there's all kinds of heroic people ascending to sainthood across time. Yeah. Um, that was a little easier than saying, okay, who's the god of war? Who's the god of agriculture who's the god of this i've done that before uh, i used a i think a random name generator and just rolled up like six or seven major deities and yeah put those out there but i think i think i find the players don't really care as long as they've got something to they've got a name and a kind of a general theme to kind of and almost a mechanic that you yeah. can hitch onto right remember if you remember second edition ad what specialty priests, right? Yeah, so, and then the different sphere, they would have different, I guess now they call them, we would call them domains, domains in domains modern, now, but that, right? that, that started in second edition with the spheres of influence. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. so what? it's normally I don't run these kind of games. Normally I run sword and sorcery or I'm running modern games or different games. So it, it's been a long time. I'm running an AD&D play by post right now. But so in that game, actually I opened it up and, they can pick whatever they want at deities and demigods. So it's with, you know, any of the pantheons in there and, and the way that's working is, and with play by post, it's, it's easier to do some of this stuff because you, and actually in the modern world, it's easier to do this than it was, but, and, and Joe's done this in his Pathfinder game where 
you know, I'm able to have deities communicate to their clerics or their followers through dreams and things like that. And, and you can send the message to the player showing the dream. Joe did that in our Pathfinder game where we showed up one session and the dream was there and we could share it with other people or not. It was up to us. But when we joined the game, the dream was sitting there waiting on us that we had this, this dream, which, and so I've been doing that, but I, I like my preference is to pick one pantheon and use that as opposed to having the smorgasbord of we have Greek gods and Norse gods and Egyptian gods or or Forgotten Realms gods mm-hmm. and, and and all that. I'm doing that in the in the game I'm running now, but generally I like to pick one pantheon and just stick to that. How about you guys? What what's your thought thoughts on that? Now, one thing I I guess I should clarify there. I like the idea of having one pick. So really you only ever have one god of war, one god of, you, you know, the ocean, whatever, but different societies throughout the world might worship different aspects of that God and they might call them different names, but ultimately they're still worshiping that single God. Right. But th- that's kind of how I do it. But ha- how do you guys deal with the idea of one pantheon versus many? That's typically what I do as well. Like I'll, I'll just go with the one pantheon, but I do go the route of who's the God of war, who's the God of air, who's the goddess of fire, all that stuff. Um, and so I'll give them names and my naming convention for gods for the past, I don't know, almost decade now, uh, I'll, I'll just look up word meanings of words that relate to whatever they're the God of in Hebrew uh, on the internet, just Google, you know, translation for storm in Hebrew and find the word. And it's oftentimes spelled out phonetically. And it's, they're really awesome sounding words that just sound super majestic. And then I'll give them a few of those. So yeah, I do the single pantheon, multiple name things. Cool. BJ. Um, I think uh, when you have a half a dozen different pantheons, this is kind of where I, one of the things I don't like about kind of the standard AD&D approach is even if you just take one set of pantheons, you've got the dwarf gods and the elf gods and the orc gods and, the, and they each have their own little pantheons. And um, I think when you have multiple pantheons, you're sort of implying a, either a physical size of the campaign setting or a, a conceptual size of the campaign setting it can kind of get hard to manage because there's just, if there's that many gods, what, you know, how do they exist together? How do they, Versus if you say, I've got a small pantheon and the god may be known by a different name by a diff- in a different part of the world, it just makes it a li- little easier to manage um, for me. So I, I tend to want one pantheon um, if I'm going to have strongly defined gods. And that's, you know, again, kind of different from what I'm doing right now. But And they have kind of a, a moniker and, and several names they go by and but they have a kind of a common theme or a common purpose. But I know one thing that's kind of changed my way of thinking a little bit. I don't know if you guys have ever watched Jackson Crawford's YouTube channel. He's a professor of Norse language. He, he uh, Dr. Cowboy, he lives in Colorado and he's like always films his things. <laughs> but he, uh, he, he's commented several times throughout his video series that, you know, that the, the Norse didn't have a God of the sea. They had gods of the sea. So, so we, we, we want to think of, Tyr is the god of war. Well, he's not the god of war. He's a god of war. And when you think uh-huh. of, we want to think of Nord as a god of the sea, but he's not the god of the sea like Poseidon. We, we sort of impose because we actually know so little about Norse religion. We sort of interpret it through the eyes of what we understood about, you know, Greek and Roman pagan religions. And so uh, <laughs> they don't necessarily have that hierarchy of, well, this is the god of the sea and here's a lesser sea. It's, it's um, a little more nebulous. So that's kind of got me rethinking, but I don't think that works well in D and D because you kind of want, this is the God of this. And these will be the kind of spells they grant and abilities they grant their, their followers. And, you know, your clear, your cleric players can pick one. So from right. a DM standpoint, I, I think I, I kind of prefer the, you know, yeah, w- w- one thing of I w- least resistance there. <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing I, I'd recommend before we kick to Carl, I'll put a link to this in the show notes, but anybody listens to monster man, James Holloway's podcast, he put out a Kickstarter last year called the Panth- Pamphlet of Pantheons, and it's available now on Itch. And I will link to it on Itch. It's uh, $4.25, $4.25 US. But it's really cool. It's about creating your own Pantheon. And it's he, go, he on his podcast, he goes through 
and talks about different panthe all the different pantheons and deities, deities and demigods and, and real world pantheons and the idea of how you know when we come up with our fantasy one typically in a real world pantheon you're not just like one it's not like the guy to like well look at Poseidon he's the guy of the ocean but he's also got a horses right and he has some weird things going on there and this pamphlet of pantheons lets you create a, a pantheon but it kind of matches real world or looks more like real world because they're like oddball things thrown in there and things like that so I'll link that in there it's actually pretty cool I backed it when the, he did the kickstarter but you could buy it now just off itch but but I want to throw it to Carl and let him weigh in on this. Yeah, what I what I don't like really is like these small pantheons, kind of like what Greyhawk has, one single pantheon. And yes, you know, like BJ said, you have dwarves, elves, orcs, whatever. But it's just like one pantheon. I remember there was this world setting called Kalimdor that had like three, maybe four deities per alignment of the <laughs> nine. So that's it that they had, and this was worldwide. But but I I don't know. I kind of like the idea of regional gods. And and while the Forgotten Realm that sounds like there are a lot of gods, it is kind of regional. If you add in like Karator and Alkadim and other regions, they their gods are regional. But I think the best, but coupled with that, I think something that Jason uh, brought up is that I, I love the idea of aspects. So I think for me, like right now, I think Midgard, which is from Cobalt Press, they do deities in a really cool way, and that they have like regional gods or gods. Their names sound regional. But there is a Hakate, for example, in the Mediterranean analog, but a Hell in the Norse analog. And they're the same being, but their aspects, you know, their aspects are called right. differently. And I think that's really cool because it, you know, it, it kind of gives like a regional feel. But then, you know, it is one, there is one pantheon in a way. Um, and and I, I, I think it, I, we learned so much as, you know, from, from when D&D first started. And like what BJ brought up, the more we learn, say, about Norse mythos, even you know, Greek, Greek to Roman, you know, we have a lot of influence from Roman, but the Greeks worshiped these deities very differently than the Romans did. We learn, you know, daily, daily, you know, as, as more archaeology comes right. to light. And, you know, they, the, they treated these as like powerful mythological beings that weren't stuck, you know, in a certain domain, right, as we gamify it, you know, they did. You know, uh, Zeus wasn't just, you know, he did a lot of things, right? A lot of bad things, maybe. But he, they treated him as if like a powerful, you know, it, they're in a way as an allegory for, uh -huh. you know, almost an exaggeration. Uh, some would say, you know, like a satire of, of extreme human behavior, right? Right. Maybe, uh, so, so it's pretty interesting that it's more, I think it is more interesting. And I think if I were to start a campaign and do my own homebrew, then I would be, I would kind of try to take that kind of approach is make gods more nebulous and, and what not try to pigeonhole them really. Nice. I think yeah. that'd be a neater I, approach. I did uh, briefly, I'm trying to remember how I set this up um, in one short campaign I ran where the idea was there's a, there, there, the, the, the priests serve the gods. There's a pantheon, but there's a certain pantheon of gods that represent civilization and 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 uh you know the, the the people of this setting up to that point and that you've got one cast of priests or one set of priests that, you know that, that just serve all so so when when a cleric a generic cleric gives you a healing spell he, he he's he's praying to the god of healing but when he hits somebody up the head mm -hmm. with a mace he's <laughs> the god of war is guiding him right and then there would be which is i think a little more like the like the greek and romans was then there are mystery cults they're devoted to a specific god but you don't you know that that's a that it's got its own secret language and terminology and and, and rituals and things like that and they kind of work more specifically for that god but they get recruited out of the the class of a uh, more kind of generic uh, clerics or priests. And so that, that's an option you can get at some point is to join a mystery cult and your spell selection and your powers change a little bit. You know, once you kind of reach a certain level, you have to make that decision. Right. Um, it, well, that brings up the idea too. And, and I, I guess there's a question how real or how much we want to base on real world, not just the, you know the actual deities do we want zeus or whatever but but it, the way real world religion works compared to the way it works in fantasy literature right because because mm -hmm. they are different when, when you think about it you know your your fantasy 
and, and I don't really want to get too in depth in real world religions, but your quote unquote um, the when, when we look at it it's our stories when we look at books and cinema movies and all this and the Catholic Church you, you know you have your Catholic Church and then you have your secret arm of the Catholic Church that has teams of vampire slayers are running around out there and things like that right which yeah. obviously you know you don't have in the real world but the but so so do we want to base it how realistic do we want our our you, you know compared to meeting the fantasy meeting the genre tropes but but i think but but this might lead us into actually very well i think carl led us into this the, the maybe kind of into our second topic which is playing the priests of these deities in in, in our games and you know how we how we'd like to see our either how we play priests when we're playing them or other characters of faith they don't have to be a priest you'd be a paladin it could just be a a, a devote you know character but how how we play or how we like to see our players play you, you know characters of faith in games uh, you know if, if that topic kind of makes sense as i yeah, i think our about. modern our modern sensibilities make it really hard to, to to dive into that i mean when uh, I, I guess I do a lot of study on you know, Roman culture and Roman stuff for gaming, not for any scholarly pursuit. But um, but you know the faith was such a huge part of a Roman's daily life. You know, uh, shrine to your ancestors, go go to the temple of Jupiter and give an offering. You go you know if you want to have good crops, go to the temple of you know, Juno for another offering. So it's very much involved in a, in a part of daily life. And I mean, I think um, I definitely rarely see that or rarely do we push that in a fantasy game. I don't know if it's necessary. Uh, maybe, you know, we've grown, grown beyond that in the secular world, but, but it really would be, you know, even if the players don't do it, maybe the world around them does, you know, uh, to show you that, show how much faith and, and the gods are a part of, especially in a, in, right. So, so that's the, the crazy thing is like, we don't think magic ever happened in our world, right? But magic and miracles happen every day in these people's worlds, right? So, right? It's not a question of more um, so much of faith, but this really happens, right? We, you know, we give to the temple and we really get a blessing, you know? That, I think, you know? I think that that's probably the breakdown. If you don't, if you don't reinforce through some kind of game mechanic or, or in-game reward, people role-playing as though they live in a world where the gods are real then pretty much the, the clerics are going to be the ones who do it because they got to get their spells and, and, and obey certain restrictions. Um, but uh, yeah, if you, now you give it, give it, give it, give a gold piece at this shrine. And for the rest of the, the rest of the day, you get a, you know, a luck point or, or something that it represents that this is real and you can interact with it. Yeah. And it's, it's even, it's even trickier in the fantasy world, right? Because there's the magic that comes from the gods, mm. but then there's also this other magic that doesn't come from the gods, but can do godly stuff. So like that counterbalance is it's, it's, it's pretty crazy to try and like put yourself in that world where like, yeah, where there's you can become as powerful as a god almost, and that's just a that would be one hell of a world to live in. <laughs> that's for well, sure. And, yeah. yeah, and one thing that we've talked about is on our various podcasts in the past, and I'll, I'm throw this back, Carl here in a second. One thing we've talked about in our podcast in the past are, are doing festivals and doing celebrations and holy days and and making that a regular part. When when you look back and, and Carl can talk to this but you know the the calendar for your your holy days was a lot fuller it, it still is very full when you when you actually look at like your orthodox christianity and, and you know roman catholic but but you know they had a lot more festivals than we have as you know modern society right. and you know you'd have things going on all the time and and if you have that going on in your campaign it can kind of reinforce that you, you know with this or having your npcs invoke the various deities oh you know you know thank jupiter you're here or this you, you know and and just kind of constantly peppering that in there can help but I, i'm gonna throw it to carl he, he i didn't mean to cut him off oh no you weren't cutting me off i want others to you know to chime in i, I love what joe says and, and that's something kind of neat you know you're right you have this sort of miracles versus uh magic right um in a lot of games but what's so what's interesting is it's kind of there, there, there are some games that, that kind of suggest though that 
magic power comes from deity like entities, right? Like say DCC, for instance, you have a a patron that you, you know, uh, uh, subjugate yourself for, for, for power, right? So that's kind of, it gets more in the sword and sorcery idea that you have cults right. with a particular mm-hmm. deity or patron, but you know it does make it more like so that even like you know a, a magic user who you think might be secular and scientific really is groveling to some deity it deity like figure um, to get that too. But yeah, you know, it, it's interesting. I wonder. I mean, I'm sure we. I'm sure if we like looked historically, we're ready to stop. But definitely, I would say that there was a lot of a lot more patronage of your faith. Uh, at least up until the age of enlightenment and maybe even yeah. beyond that, maybe even up until, you know, Georgian Victorian type period where uh, there's still a lot of this, what we today might call superstition was really faith and belief that if you were a good person and you, you know, say like in Ireland or in Europe, especially, you know, give offerings to your saint uh, that good things would happen. Right. Yeah. And it'd be as a part of your life your daily life, your daily calendar. And that's not just for, you know, we talked about Christianity, but sure, the other, the other, there's festivals and the other big religions in this world as well, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm definitely, there are definitely people who do that, but I would say it's a smaller, much smaller population than maybe it used to be um, way back. But it was, it's kind of neat. I mean, I, I guess you're right. Like as a, as a GM, you know, you're building a world or trying to get that into your world. I mean, I guess you try it and maybe you see if it annoys your players or not. And then how much are they, and you, and you guys know, you guys know you have the player that uh, is going to gamify it, game it, game this, you know, game this system. He's going to have his handful of coins and go to every single deity get all his luck points, you know, but Hey, but maybe that's cool. Maybe that's what we want. Yeah. Oh, you know, you get rival deities blessing you and then it, it you oh, know, right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> then you get in trouble. You get the evil eye. Yeah. <laughs> you tried to, you tried to game the system. Try to game the system. Right. <laughs> I think the, one thing that's quest, right? interesting with DCC is um, even if you wanted to, to do away with uh, the, 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 the wizards having to uh, have, have a, some kind of non-divine patron, which may, I, you kind of, they kind of play to me some like warlocks and kind of contemporary mm-hmm. D&D in that regard. But um, when, when, when a cleric's fa- spells don't work, they, they kind of risk ticking off their deity and they have to atone and, and make up for what they've done. They've, they've insulted their deity, but, but when a wizard screws up, they, they, they get mutations. It's it, it, the implication is arcane magic is not something you're supposed to be tampering with. And you're putting all of us at risk by doing it uh-huh. <laughs> versus if you're appeal, appealing to an actual God who kind of understands the way the universe works, that's the proper way to, to wield magical power because then the yeah, God is law a restraint on you. And can take that power away if you're not doing using it properly. Versus, you know, these demons and other entities that, that wizards deal with are just kind of winding them up and sending them out in the world to sow chaos. Mm. Right? Yeah, the, the law of first casting, and and that might take us a little out of the. That, that's a that's an interesting thing, and I and I think that's a neat discussion. It might be a little out of what we're doing tonight, that, yeah. but the idea of magic. I but I think that's a podcast on its own, right? Mm-hmm. The nature of magic and RPGs. So the idea of how scientific magic is or whether it's coming from chaos yeah. and you're, you're sowing the destruction yeah. of the world by the use of it. I, I, I think there's a, a great conversation to be had with that. Yeah. Um, but, I, I, the other thing is, I think, um, as I pointed out, other t- I think before, maybe I'm, I don't think I have on my podcast, I know I've talked with friends is about um, clerics in terms of fantasy or a D and Dism, you know, in most traditional fantasy priests and wizards are the same thing, mm-hmm. um, particularly in sword and sorcery. Uh, there, there's, there are wizards and some of them happen to serve gods and act as priests. You know, they, they, there's not that distinction, but we, we have that distinction in D and D going back to the beginning. Um, yeah, it's a cult, like a cult type of thing, right? They're, mm-hmm. a, they're a leader of a cult and they happen to be a, a spellcaster. Yeah. yeah. Well, you have that. And then you have your, your other things would be either a friar tuck or paladins, you, you know, your from your authorian and your you know you know your things like that mm-hmm. you, that kind of thing but for the most part yeah pr- they, but there's no question the priest as exists in D came about because of D and because of those early games where 
you know, well, we need to deal with this vampire. So who's going to fight, you know, this player's playing a vampire. So who's going to Sir Fang and who's going to oppose him? And, you know, and then it kind of morphed. And obviously the D and D priest is very much a Christian based thing. When you look at it, mm-hmm. it right. just, just what built, which is what the, the creators knew. And, yeah. you, you know, they did it for their own game and it got their home, you know, their home campaign and it got mm-hmm. ported into the game. Um, but yeah, it, it's definitely interesting. Any, any thoughts, Joe, on, when, I I don't know that I, you might have already spoke, but I don't think you spoke on the idea of how having players play clerics or how you like to play them. Or yeah, no, I was just listening. There's some really good ideas in there because it's it's I don't put in nearly enough festivals and things like that because I I in my heart I want players to uh, kind of initiate that stuff on on their own. I don't want to force it on them um because most of my players don't tend to play divine spellcasters uh other than in this game wrath of the righteous that i'm currently running but for the most part when i run homebrew stuff my players typically don't play divine characters so i have to work hard to get my gods in there because i love them so much (laughs) (laughs) now you bring up your current game which i'm lucky enough to be in and you're you you know you have a couple of paladins in there and they're just you know they're eating it up they're doing a great job they're you you, you know they're doing this without even prompting they're you, right. you know they're naming their gods and they're going at it and they're doing devotions to gods you know we, we came across an area that was kind of tainted and they we we spent a day just trying to c- cleanse this place i mean they they're really into it your 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 players so you, you have players that are just buying right into it which is which yeah, helps which- yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's awesome when they buy in. Yeah, it definitely helps. I, and I think I think you know you just maybe you need to give players prompts. I mean, I know I know we want to restrict to D and D, but you know this weekend when I like the the I ran a medieval game, and in in the medieval times uh, there is a lot more faith. But I put some little tidbits in the, among the players to prompt them that maybe they were more you know had more faith than others. And the players really hinge on that. So I think we just really need to, just as Joe has done with the Paladins, you know, we, and you had a festival at the beginning of that adventure, I heard. Right. So, right. You give them the prompts, and I think you give the players the tools, and I think they'll pick, they'll mm-hmm. grab onto it. Because I think you want to, you want to embrace that role-playing opportunity. Yeah, I, no, I agree with that. Let, so so let's bring back to, to a particular D&Dism, and this does appear in, in other games as well, but it, but a lot of us grew up, you know, either with BX or with Beckme. Um, Beckme being the the mints are basic, you know, and then expert companion, master, and immortal sets. Those box basic sets for D anD D. And in the immortal set, you can ascend to godhood. Has have any of you guys played in either run or played in a game where that kind of thing has happened, or any thoughts on that? The idea of PC. I know a lot of people in, especially in the OSR sphere, are the idea. Well, we like low level campaigns. We never get over fifth level stuff like that. But that's not everybody's campaign by any means. Um, any my, any thoughts? My, my only experience is that I was starting out in junior high, and the the DM's character from when he was a player with a different group was was the god that was kind of we all had to worship. That's brilliant. Um, but that I think that's typical. You know, when you're 13, 14 years old, that's mm-hmm. I think a lot of the bizarre stuff we we have from from the 80s and D&D is because it was mostly junior high and high school kids running. And the DM was the oldest person in the group, but we were all teenagers. And so right. <laughs> everyone wanted a of, Lord, Lord of Broad of Lordly Might. Yeah. Yeah. More mm-hmm. pro No, I, I did. And um, unless you have an anecdote, Joe, I'll, I can give one. No, you go, dude. I'll go. I'll yeah. Go. So. So in during the three three point five, we played a lot, and we did have characters ascend to level twenty, and it was during the like all the all the Ed Greenwood uh, novels about avatars and and chosen. So one player said, "Why well, I, I want to be a chosen too? My deed doesn't have a published chosen." So he worked really hard, and you know we did have like this tale where you know someone ascended maybe not to like a deity but, but like angelic right so can have mm-hmm. a you know a chosen of the deity and then the, you know we just had it in the fiction of the world that there are now like a cult of this saint you know that was a chosen yes. so then like if i run in the forgotten realms again 
people could be a, a, a cleric or a part of the cult of this, you know, this person, I think. This, so that's, that's the closest I've had. But, you know, he really, this guy really, you know, did the, the work, you know, even became an aesthetic. And, you know, when you get that high level, you get so much money and you just like, I don't want it. Just, you know, nice. running, you know, rolling through water deep or flying through water deep, just dropping coins. I think the uh, Finderstone trilogy depicts uh, mortal ascend- ascending to pre-Avatar, where where they you know in the Avatar trilogy, three of them. Yeah, yeah. Come, but this was the kind of the kind of maybe got inspiration. He's, he appears throughout three, three, three novels as kind of a powerful retired kind of retired adventurer who, by the end, has figured out how to become a, a, a demigod. Yeah, it's pretty awesome in the uh, in the Pathfinder world. It's baked in there. There's this thing called the Starstone, and one of their one of their gods, this dude Caden Kayleen, just got super hammered and went there and passed the test. The test is super mysterious. Nobody knows what it actually happens. Came out and is basically like the god of partying now. So it's kind of like built into the into the system of Pathfinder that you could do that. There is a place in the Pathfinder world where you can go and you get teleported and you take this crazy mythical test. And if you pass, you become a god. Uh, yeah, there's, and that's not, that's not the only, that's not unique, right? There's a couple other right. things. But, I, you know, you know, somewhere along, they have the adventure somewhere. You know, that mm-hmm. Paizo has that adventure, I'm sure somewhere yeah. <laughs> well, well D published them like i said that was part of the the beckme set and there were immortal ventures yeah, there, oh, there yeah, are yeah. immortal ventures out there to, to play yeah. with that black box set I, i've never played those adventures but but yeah. but they're out there um yes yeah, so if i remember right the when you get to the immortal level I, i've never played it i've kind of thumbed through it um mm-hmm. it takes on a very different it says how, to, how does a dm help a player do this it's a very it's like a very you send them on these mythic quests, and they have they have to chain these these really high cha- high challenges on their own of their own accord before the the of course in in, in Beckme, assuming you're playing them in Star, there aren't gods; they're just immortals who were all mm-hmm. previously mortal, and they kind of then one of them will sponsor you to kind of go on these quests, and then you know petition for you to join the pantheon if you, if you succeed. Um, because it's a very different sort of set of acquiring powers and just leveling up at that point. Right. right. Yeah. I, so, so I'm not overly interested in doing that in a D and D world. I, I now we're mainly talking fantasy or other games do this as well. Right. So like unknown armies, that, that's kind of an aspect of that is you're trying to eventually get to that level. Hopefully, you, you know, maybe, I mean, you can play on unknown armies, different levels, but that might be like the end game for that too, to some degree. But is that something that interests you guys, either as a player or a GM, to run that level? Because it's kind of like if you're playing, and again, this isn't fantasy, but you're running Marvel or you're running a superhero game, there's a big difference between playing street level or even the Avengers compared to playing Cosmic, right? Playing the Silver Surfer and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Or, or playing Superman like Carl did. I mean, Superman really yeah. is a hugely different scale than than Batman is when when you think about it, right? Unless Batman has prep time, right? Yeah, unless Batman and has prep tonight. time. Yeah, yeah. But 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 so I I I kind of derail. I, I don't mean to derail us, but but no, that's, but that's thoughts on right? on running cosmic games or you know these kind of games compared to r- the normal games we run. I mean, I think it'd be fun, like as a a one shot or a mini campaign. But I don't think you could as a long term campaign. It's just not it doesn't seem tenable now. You know, for, yeah, for us. I mean, and and I and then if I'm going to play something godlike. Hell, let's just play godlike with superheroes. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. I guess you could make, you could do like fantasy superheroes. You could do yeah. 1602, you know, but uh, something like right. that. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. At some point, I'd probably just rather play a a, a, a medieval themed superhero game <laughs> and just crank it up to where we're all, you know, Thor, Superman, Captain Marvel, Silver, Silver Surfer levels of power. Yeah. Um, but but that's what you do in Pathfinder, though, right, Joe? You got plus fifty or plus eighty to your tribute. Well, you'll never get that high, but yeah, man. I mean, really, what's the difference at a certain point of like a super high level Pathfinder character and Superman? You know, very very little at a certain point. We're starting to head that way 
uh, with my last campaign, my last homebrew campaign. And we'll definitely head that way with Wrath of the Righteous because Wrath of the Righteous is the first uh, adventure that Paizo put out that goes 1 to 20. So we're we're definitely going to see what it's like. So, yeah, strap in, Jason. It's going to be a long ride. And you guys think, it does mythic, right? The mythic stuff is mm-hmm, crazy. Mm-hmm. That's very super powered. Oh, well, dude, well and actually, Joe's run a mini campaign doing this, right? You did. Yeah. What, what level were those characters you ran? Uh, so the one where I gave out mythic, yeah, um, yeah. they were like fifth or sixth level, but I I was giving them some no, mythic. No, no, the, no, the one you you had them create characters for that Jules and a couple other people did. Oh, for the twentieth level game? Yeah, that's it. That was that's yeah, it. yeah. We ran. I ran a twentieth level game uh, for a group of people, and it, it's it's insane. Twentieth level is it's it's a whole different world of RPGs. It, it's super fun. Mm-hmm. It'd be crazy to run a whole campaign of it, though. But if you're building up over the series of a long campaign, that's sort of like kind of the end goal. You you solve all the problems on the world, so then you go off into the cosmos and you're doing crazy stuff. Yeah, because you guys were fighting like undead dragons and mm-hmm. titans and all kinds yeah. of crazy stuff, right? But it begs the question, how close is a 20th level character in power to a god? Yeah. Is that is that the apex? Are you one step away from demigod or 20th level? Or are gods so powerful that even you know even a, a party of 20th level adventures are like we challenged a god and it took about half a second and we all just ceased to exist <laughs> because he just will us out of existence. You know, where's the scale of what, what, when you actually become a god? I think they changed that, I feel like, in a maybe second edition where you never really fought gods like they had statted out in deities and demigods. You just fought like their avatar, like an aspect of the god. And yeah. then that would be a challenge for a 20th level character. And just to, like I, um, I think the closest I got to that was that those 20th level guys with the same. Uh, like a slod lord you know who's like cr 25 let's say right and they fought him at at 1920 level and so you know uh so that's what you're fighting you're fighting like mm-hmm. maybe demigods yeah avatars demon, mm-hmm. yeah, demon lords but I, I like an actual god you're right because I, I mean if, if you're a god right if you're omnipotent and omniscient you just create a series an army of avatars of yourself through the multiverse Right. Yeah. Well, well, it's like the, it, yeah, it, it's like that quote in the Cthulhu Now book that was out in the in the nineties. You, you, you know what happens when you hit Cthulhu with a nuclear weapon? He, he reforms five minutes later, and he's now radioactive. Right? It's you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I I kind of prefer that with with kind of circling back to when you create gods is is that that I kind of like the idea that you're immortal. You know, you're you're I I don't yeah I, I don't want the I'm not a big fan of the grim, dark, pathetic aesthetic. Sometimes I want to play that, but but most of the times I, I do want to play a little more type of heroic fantasy. But I still want to kind of have this sense that that these are mortal heroes striving to do something, you know, and it's a struggle for them. Not that these are predestined people that are on their path to becoming demigods, and that, yeah. that there's just a qualitative difference that that and maybe maybe the gods are former mortals, but it's not just a. I amassed as much power as earthly possible and, and then right. said some magic words and touched touch the touchstone and now I'm divine. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, well, in, in Greyhawk, right, the PD, or the GDQ, PDQ, the GDQ series, right, at the end you fight Loth. Right, that's, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Sorry, everyone, spoilers if you haven't heard of that. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't stat my gods out. They're, they're on a whole nother level. Even if the players got to 20th level, my gods could still show up and be like, you're now first level again. Like they don't, the gods are the gods. They don't play by the, they don't have classes and levels and stuff. Mm-hmm. They have the cheat codes to the universe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they don't have a CR, right? Yeah. They don't have a CR. Right. Yeah. As it should be really. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, well, you guys run a lot of games. You've played in a lot of games. What are some examples of some favorite things you've you've seen in in your games or games you played in with, with um, pantheons and gods? Well, I, th- and examples? I think my favorite my favorite thing. Well, no, it's more playing a cleric. It's not a not a specific god thing. But a couple of weeks ago, we were playing Dungeon Crawl Classics, and I played a cleric, and I got in a spell duel with a hag, and we both rolled the highest. You know, and just tore open a hole in reality, but <laughs> that was a lot of fun. That's awesome. 
Um, and then you, it left for, me with translucent a, for a skin. And, for a millisecond, you had ascended to godhood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you uh, and the hag my... together forever. Nice. No. <laughs> um, um, I, I, I'm trying to think of if I've got a favorite moment of, of a god showing up. Um, okay. I'll have to think about it a little more. Why, why, why don't you rest you guys go ahead? If I think something, I'll pipe in. So my, I, I, I mentioned it at the beginning but my favorite moment of a god popping up in one of my campaigns was when Maveth, my all-time favorite god that i've created the goddess of death guardian of the gray gate wolf mother raven queen she fucking owns my heart um she wanted to talk to one of the pcs and so she just showed up on the middle of this battlefield just stabbed him through the chest with a great sword killed him because she's the goddess of death and then just talked to him in the dead zone and then brought him back to life. And that was just because when I stabbed the player through the, when I stabbed the character through the chest, the player was like, because <gasps> I just murdered the character. So I rolled like a shit ton of dice too, right? I was like, you take like 89 damage. And he's like, oh my God. I was like, yeah, you're dead. Um, and it was just, it was so much fun. It was awesome. That's mine. Also, yeah. uh, just one note, sorry. Uh, in literature, my favorite pantheon is uh, the Malazan Book of the Fallen. It's the pantheon yeah. of genius. It's the best pantheon in literature. That's a cool All right. One. Okay, your turn, BJ. I'm still thinking. Carl, still yeah, like go going, Carl. Uh, so it's me. So I think my favorite was back in AD&D. It was during that AD&D. And I think I, I, I sent in a message about this on someone's podcast. But hey, you guys, now everyone has it. Um, so... Is that during the Avatar War in the transition from AD&D one to two in the Forgotten Realms, and one of the players was worshipped Miliki, the goddess of rangers in the forest, and the player characters or the yeah the the player character slept with Maliki. Nice. And this was in preparation for inspiration for the war against a Yengadu. I think it must have been on uh, the the Null God, and there was this big battle in the forest. And he got the other player characters to help him not sleep with his god, but you know to help him with the battle. <laughs> but uh, but I think I think if we had continued that, I, I guess you know, things fell apart shortly after there, or it never came to fruition. But I think it was I would have had like a little mini player character come out who was a demigod, you know, of that yeah. union. I think that'd have been kind of cool. But uh, that was kind of the funnest moment, you know. We're crazy, you know. We like we. This is like the when the you know. Uh, times when we'd get together at my friend's dorm and order pizza and beer and play all night yeah. that's what we do you know that's kind of one of the cool things that happen with regards to gods but i think my favorite pantheon um my favorite pantheon i think real world pantheon has got to be the norse one and now especially since bj's told me this more interesting stuff that i got to look up you know with <laughs> this uh this guy this cowboy uh archaeologist. oh yeah Jack jackson crawford he's great he's but, got a, a lot yeah, of it's old, really just lessons on old norse but sometimes the ones where he starts talking about their mythology and their their religion really, yeah it's, it's, it's really fascinating cool. it's it's weird we don't know about it you know because we get bullfinch's mythology and you know in high school right yeah. so but we never really hear about the norse gods as much yeah. so i think it's just something interesting um so in high school we were playing a it was, I, I, I don't remember how much we were playing and how much we were just sort of making up stories about D&D characters. We were, <laughs> there was kind of a game and kind of a, uh, you know, we would, we would come back with our characters to the table and maybe we were a little enhanced based on the, the BS stories we were telling in between sessions. But uh, we encountered a, an avatar of Thor. Um, and uh, I, I can't remember what, what the deal was with Thor. Like we, we fought him. And then he was like, kick our ass because it's Thor. Um, but was impressed with us. And so then the later um we got kind of in a bad, bad way, and my character like fired 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 an arrow at a a demon or something, and it just spontaneously turned into a lightning bolt and blasted the demon because that was sort of Thor's favor, kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry I nearly broke, I'm sorry I dislocated your shoulder. <laughs> Since your aim's a little off, here you go. <laughs> Have a lightning bolt on me. So that, that was kind of cool. But we didn't, most of my games kind of growing up, we didn't really, the gods didn't show up much. So it, it's, been, it's been more as a DM trying to figure out how to make that a, a salient part of the world that the, the player's characters inhabit. 
which can be kind of a challenge when, um, yeah, I think we, we, when we, I mean, circling back to maybe a previous point, how you play characters of faith, but I, I think I, I, I know if you don't have experience of participating in a religion, sometimes it, it can be kind of a hard, kind of a challenge to figure out how to play a character for, that has that kind of viewpoint. So um, they got to show up and stab them in the chest. Yeah. So like Carl was talking about earlier, you know, about how, how religion was such a ubiquitous part of life for, for the Romans and for medieval Christians. And, and for, for a lot of people probably in the early days of our current culture, but as we, time goes by, we become more and more secular and people don't have those reference points of how to play a, a person of faith who's, who's deeply moved or deeply reverent or deeply concerned about whatever it is their deity is all about. Yeah, unfortunately, it becomes a parody like you shared with us a bit earlier. Yeah, yeah somebody's working out their acts they have to grind with the religion, so they're, they're they're they become they're playing a cleric, but they're they're playing them like a televangelist or a street preacher. Right. I I, I wonder how much though. I I think Carl brought something up interesting. This this idea of you, you know how we used to play where you do these all night sessions or all Saturday sessions, you know, all day sessions. Mm-hmm. And now your typical sessions, you know, three hours on the internet, right? It may, not saying everybody plays that way, but for a lot of people, you, you know, games are three hours on the internet now. And I wonder how much that affects this as well. Just the idea that we want to maximize game time. So how much now to, to their credit, like, like Joe's characters in his wrath of the righteous game, even though, that game is pretty focused. So, you know, even though Pathfinder is like crafting and all the stuff like that, he's doing a lot of stuff off, off the air between games, but just in, in what they're doing, these, the players are really good. So they're invoking their gods and doing the stuff just in what they're doing. You, you know, I'm, I'm going to slap you in, in the name of my God kind of thing. You, you know, they're, they're just working into, the, into, into their dialogue. So, so they're, they're doing it, but I, but with some of this stuff, I wonder if it, it was easier to work in when we were playing eight hour sessions compared oh, to, you, you know, these sessions where we're trying to rush to get through. And, and especially if the, yeah, and that's a tough thing as a GM too, is just being able to let go and is a GM, except, we're, we're, you know, we're going to stop at 11 o'clock tonight or whatever time tonight. And we're only going to get this far and I can't push them to get. You know, you, you can't have a predetermined stop point, you, you know, realistically, because right. if you do, you're not going to get there because something's going to weigh it down or this or that. Yeah, but that, that might be a discussion for a different show. But, but, right. But the, yeah. I, yeah, I guess you, what I'm getting at, though, is the idea out, that, Jason, Why don't you close this out by telling us about your favorite experience or Pantheon or something like that? Yeah, I, well, I don't have one to, to share, but oh you have to oh, which is on. why i was oh. which is why I, I rolled into that but, the, <laughs> but, but, but i i i do wonder though if the if you know not playing longer sessions affects this i i, I don't know what you have any ideas on that carl i think the only way to, to test that out is to play a long session <laughs> yeah, I, I, mean, yeah. I mean i mm-hmm. i agree i mean i think they're yeah, and I think you know sometimes you you get a, a good group that you know really it doesn't matter the game, but I think that's what you have to do is you have to get a group, and I think that's what where it becomes like our the onus is on the GM to really get the group um, invested in the game, so then they they want to do all that extra stuff um, in between games, so then you can really get to the role playing and and the less less gameist you let it flow yeah. you know naturally be less of a you know, rolling a bunch of dice and, and telling a story. That's, you know. Definitely. Yeah. Any, any, so, so we've had this discussion today. Is, is, is anybody think about changing the way they're, they're, they're addressing pantheons and all going forward? I like the idea that BJ and Carl were talking about of making it more fluid. I think that's cool. I'll probably start doing mm-hmm. more of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and, and it makes sense, right? I mean, it depends yeah. on. It obviously, depends on the pantheon you built for your world. But mm-hmm. we we look at real world pantheons. You know, not you know, like Carl said. You know, you're mm-hmm. it ju- not just Norse, but but your Greek. You, you know, and even you go to you, you know in Asia and, and India and things like that. You know, they they weren't um, yeah. I'm this god and this god only. 
you, you, you mm-hmm. know, they, it was like the whole thing. Yeah. 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 I think I may, um, I, I did this a little bit when I started storm King's thunder with my fifth edition group was having, cause we've got a warlock and two paladins and I was, I was having them have omens and visions in their dreams yeah. coming from their patrons and their, and their deities to, uh, to just kind of warn them as to what's going to happen if they don't do something. Um, and I think I may need to incorporate that into some of my other games where I've got clerics and paladins and say, you know, you have this dream and it's giving you a clue as to where you might go next or what's what's about to happen that you want to be prepared for. Um, but I also think just, just you, you mentioned the shorter sessions. I think players want to get experience points and level up and have more powerful characters. And whether that's going out for gold, depending on how you do XP, or going out to fight fight monsters and solve problems, they want to get to the action. And so, but the, I think a lot of those, unless you're encountering like a an evil cult or taking down a shrine, they um, are fighting undead or a demon or something. The, the, a lot of that could come in the downtime activity where you've got to make space for, and it's harder with these shorter sessions because you want to kind of, if we're playing three hours every other week, we want to give you your experience points because you, you know, otherwise you're going to be a first level character for the next eight months. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think trying to incorporate in the downtime where I'm going with that is, is, is uh, you know, people should be coming up to the clerics and the paladins and asking them religious questions. Oh, please, 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 please. My leg hurts. Can you just, you know, can, can you give me a blessing? You know, can you say a prayer for my wife? She's, she's sick. And, uh, you know, can you see, can you, um, my father just departed. Could you say, could, could you, could you bless our house so that his spirit can depart? <laughs> Isn't hanging around haunting us. You know, and then that doesn't even have to be rolling dice. It's just that you can say, yeah, clerics can do that. Those are kind of routine. That's you know, a really take, good idea. Take the sign of the cross yeah, so you and give them, go with you God. Give the, players, kind of you give the players the tools by, you know, giving them prompts. I think, uh-huh. I think that's what I'm, yeah. I'm going to do different is to really, you know, that do it kind of things that would BJ said, show them, show around them that the, the, the world is invested in the worship of deities. Um, and and put yeah. things you know give them like omens and you could do all these things and I think what it all is all of these yeah. are just different tools to give the players something to to think about and think about the faith that their characters have in the worlds that we create. Uh, the world uh, expects them to act that way; they'll start acting that way. Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, exactly. A hundred percent. If you're if you're a cleric of of effect of essentially the same religion or alignment or whatever going through a land and you pass other travelers going through that land, they're probably going to ask your blessing as you pass them mm-hmm. on the road or, or yeah. you get into that small village, you, you, you know, you're going to have people coming up to you asking you that, you, yeah. you know, and, and it's, it's incorporating that in, in, into the game. The, the other thing that occurs to me do is something I think I heard Mike Merle's m- m- mention one time is that if you've got a God of the forge, his temple should be the place everybody goes to buy metal goods. If you've got a, a God who is the God of agriculture, well, they should see oversee the harvests and that they should provide public infrastructure. So, so say in forgotten realms, if you go to water deep, well, who's, you know, where's the fighting pit? Well, it's actually over the temple of, of, uh, um, cord. Uh, I can't remember the forgotten realms. God of war, not tier. He's more Tempest. justice. Tempest. Tempest. Yeah. They're in, because Tempest wants people to challenge themselves to become better warriors. Well, where's where's the place to get a good drink? Oh, go over to the you know the God of Beer. Right, <laughs> that's the place. Well, to well get and that's where a tavern. <laughs> yeah, well, well, that's where where Joe where Pathfinders God Capitalism yeah. comes in, right? The God of Bankers yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. They, they have. Or do, I, I assume those they, they actually run banks and all too. Right? They do. They're, yeah. the, the banks in Galarian are all run by the church of Abaddon. Mm-hmm. Right. You've been, yeah, you've been accused think, of a yeah. crime. You've got to go to the temple to the God of justice because yep. the judge in this town is going to be a priest of that God. Yeah. yeah. And definitely. I think the designers of these games think about these things and have that right. Like, like even in a, in our abomination vaults, like the, one of the taverns is a temple to mm-hmm. Kaden Kaden, right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah the, and the, and the designers the definitely is, think that. I think and, it's yeah. And the library is, you know, for uh, uh-huh. the trio of deities that are that that's important to them. So, you know, yeah, the, the designers give us the tools. We just gotta, you know, communicate these tools to our players. Right. I think they'll, I think they'll embrace them. I mean, I've even seen, you know, like I said this weekend in small, you know, anecdotes that if you give little tidbits to players, they'll take them and run with them because that's they want to tell the story too. You know, they want to be able to take a little sentence you give them as part of their background or as a, a dream 
from their god and they'll they'll make it a whole freaking campaign you know it's a whole motivation for a campaign definitely well well, i want to thank everybody for for joining this panel and and discussing this thank you so much there'll be links to all your podcasts in the show notes i'll have links to the the podcast that bj was talking about We'll, we'll have a link to that in the show notes i'll put a link to um james holloway's pantheon of pamphlet of pantheons uh, anyway there'll be the th- all the things we talked about will be there'll be links to all the things in the in the show notes so and we'll we'll see you guys again well, well a panel it may be it might be us it might be different people you we'll, never know yeah you yeah. never know we'll talk again in in about two weeks so yeah well thanks for having us jason thank you jason for running it yeah no thanks. worries yeah it's okay. good to see everybody yep yep okay take care folks peace Broadcast, so beautiful podcast. Let's savor all the flavors from the spinal cap strong. The Alstells and Pods pass, so beautiful podcast. Your counting down your last as you admire them all. The sound is Never say it, but it's in the flavor of the music.